There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, welcome to Jewel Says. I'm Julie Jewels. I hope you're enjoying your summer. It's almost over. My God, I can't believe it's the middle of August. Last week, I talked about how great teenagers are. One of the things I love is hearing them chatter to each other on the way home from school. They're like, oh, yeah, well, we fucking this and fucking that. And it's like, oh, my God, they're just so adorable. And during the summer, there are day camps in the area. All of them are run by teens. I really do love the little blighters. And one of those camps traipses by my house every day as the all-teen staff walk their little charges to the park and back. It just, it fills my heart with joy to hear the children's noise. And sometimes I go out on the porch to watch them as they go by. I'm that creepy old lady on the porch. It's just adorable. The children chattering and interacting with each other and skipping and hopping along. Some of them walk along the rocks we have out front. And the staff, they interact with the staff. They're all friends. The staff sometimes play music along the way and they chat with each other as they herd the children along like little kittens. I shouldn't say that. They actually are really good. They all seem to cooperate. When Joanne Richard and I were at the park in July, one of the children shouted from the playground equipment, Hey, that lifeguard is back! And then a bunch of them excitedly ran over to the splash pad where this teen lifeguard would chase them, squirt them with water pistols, hurl them into the water. And it's slippery in that splash pad. We were there with Fred when he was here, and we really had to hold him up. It's quite slippery. And so I kept thinking, oh, my God, somebody's going to get hurt. But the children loved it. I overheard one of the camp counselors shout to one of the children, hey, tell your brother to get over here before he pisses me off. And they just make me laugh. The way they interact with the children, it's just so organic. And I think they're adorable. And I love their energy. And I'm sure the parents appreciate the lifeguard who wears their children out a little bit. 
These are some pretty great kids. I want to give you a Fitbit update. If you listened to my 2021 year-end episode, I think it was December 29th or something, you'll know that Abe gave me a Fitbit for Christmas, and my initial reaction to it was less than enthusiastic. I actually bought an Apple Watch for Carrie, too, and she didn't want it. She ended up returning it. And she's like, you didn't want the Fitbit. Why would you buy me an Apple Watch? Because I had been looking for a smartwatch for years that was pretty, that had notification and messaging features. And I like those features. It's just that I felt emotionally negative about the fitness features. I didn't want them. And I hated the branding of the Fitbit because to me, just the name speaks to what it's intended to do. And I was I was kind of opposed to that, even though I wanted the other features of the smartwatch. And I thought Carrie would also find those features useful because she often can't be near her phone. But she said, no, it would exacerbate anxiety. She doesn't want to get messages when she's not with her phone, so fair enough. Very often, in my case, I don't have my phone with me, and I like to know if I'm getting a message. But anyway... I genuinely was looking for something pretty that just didn't have the fitness stuff on it. It turns out that all the smartwatches have fitness apps on them, but whatever. I just adjusted my expectations, and I was just looking for pretty. The nice thing about this thing is I hate call, I hate even calling it a Fitbit. I'm going to call it a smartwatch from now on. The nice thing about this watch is it's small. It doesn't look manly, and you can get pretty bands for it. And since I was able to disable the fitness notifications for the most part, fine. But I've been wearing this thing since. And to my complete surprise, and I think I've mentioned this once before, but I've had it now, I guess it's eight months, I actually like, really like some of the features that I had previously forcefully resisted. I like the sleep score. I now have evidence that a terrible sleep was not a figment of my imagination. It makes me happy that my oxygen levels are optimal. I actually like the heart rate info. It measures how many minutes per day, week, month my heart rate is elevated. It reports zone minutes, so an intense exercise counts as two zone minutes per minute, moderate would be one per minute, etc., And I actually like that, which is surprising. I mean, sometimes you surprise yourself if you try something new. One day, Abe and I rode our bikes to a little area in Mississauga called Port Credit, which is about 22 kilometers away from us. For me, the bike ride to Port Credit, just one way, measured 175 zone minutes. For Abe, maybe 11 Now, he was riding a road bike, which is much more efficient than the much heavier sitting-up cruiser bike I was riding, but still, he was able to see right there in black and white, measured by number, how much harder I had to work to do the same bike ride. And I like that. Resting heart rate? Mine is 50% higher than Abe's, but I'm not a six-foot-tall, athletic, 45-year-old man, so I guess that makes sense. I don't pay a lot of attention to the step count. I know some people are like, oh, I did 10,000 steps today. Not me, because sometimes you can take a lot of steps so slowly that it's hard to believe there's any real benefit. When you're walking with 
old people or people who've been injured, you're walking slowly. And I don't really like to stroll. I prefer to walk briskly. I remember my father, Ted, got a treadmill years ago. Poor Ted was a very talented athlete in his day, but too many sedentary years of too much rich food and smoking between 50 and 75 cigarettes a day had taken its toll. He started out walking on that thing at the slowest speed setting available for two minutes at a time before feeling winded. I can't imagine getting to that point. The other interesting data point for me is calories burned. This thing estimates how many calories you burn based on age, height, weight, gender, and activity levels. And it turns out that on a sedentary day, sitting at the computer, I barely crack 1,200 calories. I knew it. I knew that I could not eat bread, rice, and potatoes without gaining weight. The only day I have broken 2,000 calories since I've been wearing this thing in January was the bike ride to Port Credit and back. So it just goes to show you, we women, especially as we get older, really can't get away with eating like men. We just can't. And I used to, I mean, I bristle at misogynist jokes, one of which is, what puts weight on a woman faster than anything? Wedding cake. Ha ha ha. Ah, fuck off. Of course we put on weight when we're cooking man food and cooking for a family and socializing with men. There are men out there who seriously think that once we get married or we have a committed relationship that we put on weight because we don't care. No, it's because we're sharing our lives with you and you can get away with eating a lot more than we can there. It's just not fair. Oh, shit. I have a history of disordered eating and a bad relationship with food. Am I slipping back into my disordered eating patterns? This was one of my fears with a gadget that measured these things. But I'm not counting calories. I refuse to count calories diligently. I'm just trying to be a little more mindful of what and how much of everything I eat. I mean, I always have been, but COVID kind of ruined. Like, honestly, because Abe and I used to work in different cities, I would just pack up food and eat nothing because I didn't have to cook a meal for anyone. Not that he expects me to, but I do. And I would either not eat lunch or just eat greens for lunch. And that's what I used to do. And now that we're together... I am eating more because he likes potatoes and he can get away with eating potatoes and I like potatoes too, but whatever. It's just hard when you see that number not to let it get into your head too much. And the thing is, I'm starting a new IT contract in September. Congratulations, me. <laughs> so no doubt my sedentary days will increase dramatically. And I'll be working remotely, so I won't even have a commute. At least when I worked downtown, I would walk almost two kilometers to the Spadina subway station and then just take the subway south. Or sometimes I would walk all the way home when I didn't have a deadline. Anyway, I'm just going to have to manage it. I had planned to take a one-year hiatus, and that has turned into two years, so I guess it's time. I'm back in the saddle for a while yet. I'm still planning on keeping the podcast up. I'm still not as busy as Catherine, so no excuses, right? 
I probably won't be doing any more audiobooks. I just finished one this week. And, you know, people say to me, oh, but you love it, don't you? And I'm like, no, it's a slog. I would love it if someone hired me and I could walk into a studio and read and have a director stop me and correct me. And then someone else did all the audio editing. But I don't love having to do the whole thing. I have to say, though, my audiobook income is up. I'm making royalties of between 18 and $25 a month. I just hope that is sustainable. But the IT contract, it was nice to be able to pick and choose my contract. During my hiatus, I had a few recruiters approach me, and mostly it was the kind of work that really didn't appeal to me, or they didn't want to pay my rate. Oh, can you do anything about your rate? (laughs) Can you do anything about your margin? Try starting there. What's your margin? No, thank you. At 62, I finally have the luxury of refusing to be underpaid. And this is one of the things I really like about consulting. I was an employee for 37 years, not for one company, but 37 years I was someone's employee. And I had no idea how stifling it felt until I finally went independent. I know independent contracting is not for everyone, and sadly, healthcare coverage is tied to employment in the U.S. I had no idea. But it seems to me that almost every employer gives lip service to valuing employees while demonstrating that they don't actually value employees. And it seems to be getting worse. Is it my imagination or is it getting worse? At least for some of the people I've been talking to lately. They promise you a raise and a promotion, then they don't follow through. They lay people off, pay them to leave, then dump their work on the people who remain. Middle managers claim their hands are tied, and maybe they are. But the people calling the shots are often so removed from what's going on in the trenches that they have no idea how much effort is required to do anything well. Or they forget. And I've worked with a few people who were sloppy with detail, found ways to get out of doing the work, and they're now director level. Maybe talking bullshit actually does work if you're looking for that kind of job progression. Some of them act like everyone below them is stupid. Some of them start projects to implement new systems, claim this one will be different. We are going to take the time to do this right. Then what do they do? They set arbitrary deadlines, cut back on testing and training, mismanage expectations with the business and organizational change, or they ignore organizational change entirely. Then they blame the people on the ground doing the actual work when the results aren't optimal. Again and again and again. As an independent consultant, I'm not trapped by any of this. They're paying me to leave. They're paying me to do a job, enable the poor souls under their employ, and leave. Don't get me wrong. I am optimistic every time I start a new contract, but invariably, I see enough by the time I go that I'm so very glad to go. Every company is dysfunctional, just like families. Every family has some dysfunction. It's just a matter of where, how, and to what degree. Continuous improvement programs feel like a futile exercise in wheel spinning. I suppose long term, there are improvements. There absolutely are, or we would still be doing our accounting on paper. But the churn of getting there can be so painful and expensive. 
And the finger-pointing and blame games are just emotionally taxing. What employees don't realize, though, is that they may be able to quit and still qualify for severance pay, depending on the jurisdiction, through constructive dismissal. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. What is this constructive dismissal, you might ask? Well, it refers to when an employee feels forced to quit because of the employer's unjust or wrongful behavior. In Canada, it's described as the employer failing to comply with the contract of employment in a major respect, or unilaterally changing the terms of employment, or expressing a settled intention to do one or the other, which forces the employee to quit. Now, one of the caveats about the unilateral change is, if you say nothing, you are deemed to have accepted the change, so then they don't necessarily consider it unilateral. But also, an employer not dealing with a toxic environment of abuse or harassment can be cause for constructive dismissal. Now, I'm not telling anyone to rush out and quit their jobs. These cases are difficult to prove, and obviously, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but I have talked to a few people lately who are so close to a breaking point in their jobs, but they can't afford or they're afraid to quit. Maybe it's worth looking into constructive dismissal. It's worth at least investigating. Maybe telling an employer you've spoken with a lawyer might motivate them to resolve the issues rather than face the possibility of a constructive dismissal case. Or maybe telling an employer you've seen a lawyer risks enraging them or thinking you're a troublemaker and maybe they'll double down. I I don't, there is no right or wrong answer. It is tricky. But I think it's worth looking into on the down low if you're in a bad situation. Of course, no one wants to go to court. Not me, probably not you, and most certainly not your employer. So I think in some cases they are willing to settle. But if they fight it, you could end up stuck with your costs, their costs, and no job at all. So you have to be careful. I certainly would hate to go through years of litigation and end up paying not only my own legal fees, but my employer's legal fees. Well, I simply could not afford to do that. But I do think 
A lot of employers have the attitude that their employees should be grateful to have a job and will tolerate anything that's dumped on them. And why shouldn't they believe that? That very often is how these things play out. And if your employer is dumping way too much work on you, you're probably working very hard to keep up. After all, most of us do have a work ethic. Most of us care about our jobs and the people we work with. So we sincerely try to keep up with the demands, even if those demands are unreasonable. I've even said that if I won the lottery, I wouldn't leave the next day. I would stay and wrap things up and try to transition, only because I care about the people I work with and I wouldn't want to see my colleagues dumped with whatever I was walking away from. So yeah, most of us really try, work hard, and try to do a good job, even if they're stressed and even if they're full of rage at being taken advantage of. I get it. I met with a reputable employment lawyer after I quit my job after 28 years. I had moved to Toronto and was commuting weekly to work. I had submitted the paperwork to apply for approval for a remote work arrangement, which was already in effect for several of my colleagues. My application sat in limbo for months and months because, unbeknownst to me, the company was preparing to cancel the remote work option altogether and restructure the workforce. Again. They seem to have a pattern of restructuring. I swear to God, it was every two to five years, at least in IT, not necessarily the whole organization. But when the company-wide plan to cut staff was announced, I was then told that remote workers were being forced to return to the office or be let go. So obviously my application was denied. Voluntary severance was offered, with the exception of the IT department, which was where I worked. They were letting some people go and offering early retirement to others with very favorable severance packages. Pick me, I hoped. Pick me, pick me. But the fact that I had already moved to Toronto, was commuting, and had applied for a remote work arrangement made it pretty obvious that if they didn't pick me, I would very likely quit for free. It doesn't make business sense to give me a severance package when I'll quit for free. Why would they do that? Had they laid me off, I would probably have gotten a year's payout. But I was not laid off, and I was two years shy of being allowed to volunteer for early retirement. I really could not afford to quit without severance pay or another job. Plus, the economy had tanked. And because I had spent my entire career in Sarnia working for the same company, well, the same company after the bank, I was anonymous in Toronto, invisible. I had no network, no relationships, no connections. My resume was just another document in a sea of hundreds of others. It was proving difficult for me to even get an interview, never mind an actual job or a contract. I applied for temporary contract positions. Nothing. Crickets. Finally, I went to an SAP user group meeting, met several people in person, introduced myself, chatted, never underestimate the person-to-person connections, and within a week, I had three calls from potential employers and one interview booked. I never did schedule other interviews because I immediately accepted the job offer from the first one, even though I had to take a $10,000 a year pay cut. But... I was able to quit. Still, 
I just couldn't stop ruminating on how cheated I felt that I had to quit for free under the circumstances. So I scheduled an appointment with an employment lawyer, not a free consultation. I was worried that a free consultation might mean that I would be encouraged to spend money on an unlikely outcome. I was worried it would be a sales pitch, a legal sales pitch, if you will. I explained my position, mostly the submitted remote work application, how it sat and how the company pulled that off the table, how they paid all these people severance to leave, how voluntary severance was an option company-wide but not for IT. The lawyer explained how constructive dismissal works and why I did not have a case. My employment contract had not been altered. I had never had a contract to work remotely, so I didn't have a leg to stand on there. I was able to find a comparable job immediately after I quit. Well, I found it before I quit. But that has something to do with the severance requirements. And he explained that legally, the company could very well claw back the severance packages from people who had successfully found employment within the severance period which really surprised me. He said, if they give you a year and you find a job in a month, they can legally claw some of that back. I'm sure a lot of companies don't do that. And I was aware that this company had never gone to that kind of effort. They just sent people packing with the package permanently. And I suspect a lot of companies pay more than the legal severance requirements precisely to preempt potential lawsuits. But some people who were let go or took early retirement, came back to work for the same company on a temporary hourly consulting basis, which I never understood. Good for them, but what the fuck? We're laying you off, paying you a hundred grand or thereabouts to go. Oh, but by the way, come back for a while and we'll pay you a hundred dollars an hour for your trouble. That's a sweet deal. I would be lying if I said I wasn't jealous of that deal. And you might think that I wanted to hear from this lawyer that I had a legitimate case, that I had been right, but that's not the case at all. I walked out of that meeting feeling completely unburdened from the noise of wondering that kept going on in my brain. I wanted a clear, truthful, expert assessment, and that was well worth the cost of that consultation. I think it cost me a few hundred dollars. I felt lighter. Like I said, I wouldn't have wanted the ugliness of a dispute anyway. I really liked these people, at least the people I worked directly with. But I also didn't want to lie down and accept the outcome if I had genuinely been wronged. And in this case, it turns out, at least legally, I had not been wronged. I am going to include a couple of links to information on constructive dismissal in case you're in a situation where you want more information. But definitely don't jump into it. Don't assume that you have a case. Consult with a reputable employment lawyer, not just any lawyer. They all have their different specialties before taking any action. And definitely, even if you don't consult with a lawyer, keep meticulous records of events. You never know when that's going to come in handy, including emails, texts, and phone calls and hallway conversations. Scan documents you've signed or been asked to sign. If you are asked to sign something that you're not comfortable with, then you definitely should see a lawyer before you sign, because once you've signed, you've agreed. Even though you were probably agreeing under duress, 
It's really hard to prove. It's hard to dispute. And people who don't want evidence will prefer the phone call or the hallway or the office conversation, but you can credibly document conversations yourself, even if they're not in writing. Years ago, I had a boss who would call people on her commute to work. She was on a different time zone, and she knew we would be in the office. If you happen to be listening, hi, I hope you're doing well. It's been years. Look me up if you're ever in Toronto. I'd love to catch up. And I mean that. She is great company. She's lots of fun. Really like her. But the phone calls, the phone calls, sometimes those conversations would end with me feeling as though the sky was falling. She would sometimes later on claim to have said or that I had said things that I was sure were not accurate. So I developed the habit of sending her an email after these phone calls just to cover my ass. And I started doing it with other people, too. It's great ass coverage, really. Subject, phone call summary. Body, hi, just following up on our conversation this morning to make sure I didn't miss or misunderstand anything from our discussion. Point one, point two, point three, whatever, keep them short. Kindly let me know what I've missed or misunderstood. Warmest regards, Julie. Let me tell you, I had a lot fewer issues after I started doing that, and I didn't just do it with her. It became a matter of practice for me, because one of the things you have to deal with in the security world is audit, evidence, audit, evidence. If you break a rule, you need evidence of why, you need evidence of approval. So I'm very evidence-based. And I've kept this up as a standard post-conversation practice ever since. I know people hate getting emails. I'm sorry. But when someone tries to throw sand in your eyes later, it's best to have these things in writing. It reduces the likelihood of them even trying. Plus, it actually does help you go back because you could genuinely forget what was said in that conversation. So it's very helpful. It's worth it. I do think quitting with or without the possibility of constructive dismissal on the table, is a last resort for most people. But sometimes you feel better just trying to make things better, even if it doesn't work out the way you intended. I can assure you I would never have left my company had they approved my remote work application. But it turned out to be a blessing that they didn't approve it. I have loved working for different companies. I've learned so much about different systems that the other company didn't have or didn't use, different types of businesses, and I've collected more than a few very dear friends along the way. Sometimes the thing you fear most is really the best outcome in the end. Thank you for listening. If you have anything you'd like to share or ask, email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. I'll post some links in the description of this episode. I'll also put them on my Facebook page, Jules Says. Have a fabulous week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.